The Scoop Podcast, brought to you by PPG, the official paint of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, here's your host, Josh Getzoff. Welcome aboard, everybody. This is the Scoop Podcast presented by PPG. I'm Josh Getzoff. Great to be with you again, and we thank you for clicking on us, subscribing, and lending us your ears for this latest episode. And excited to bring it to you. Great guest today is we have Mike Vellucci, the newest member of the Pittsburgh Penguins coaching staff, uh, assistant coach under Mike Sullivan now as he makes the move from the American Hockey League, where, of course, he served as the head coach of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins last season and now has jumped up to the NHL level. And really, it's been an interesting story for Volucci that we're going to learn a lot about and you will learn a lot about here over the next little bit in our conversation. A journey that's taken him from Tier 2 junior uh, to the OHL to a lot of success uh, in that OHL role with the Plymouth Whalers then moving to the American Hockey League where he dabbled in managerial roles with the Carolina Hurricanes, and then, of course, coached uh, in Charlotte with the Checkers, the Hurricanes AHL affiliate, where he captured a Calder Cup in 2019 before coming to the Penguins last season and, of course, leading the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins in the 2019-2020 regular season and then jumping to the NHL. So, yeah, if you're following that tree, it's been two-plus decades for Volucci, and now he's finally coaching in the National Hockey League. Uh, also, just a side note, he was an original draft pick of the Hartford Whalers, and that jersey, as you'll learn about in this conversation, is something he still has. In my opinion, one of the best logos in hockey history, maybe sports history, so uh, pretty cool to have that with your name on the back, and that is the case for Mike Volucci. A lot more to learn as well, and later on in the podcast, we're going to be joined by Michelle Cracchiolo of Penn's Inside Scoop, who wrote a really nice feature piece on really the incredible pipeline and the tree of Wilkes-Barre Scranton in Northeast Pennsylvania filtering to Western Pennsylvania and all the coaches that have been behind the bench in the baby pens and not even just coaches, people behind the scenes that have stepped into Pittsburgh in big roles and had a lot of success in championships and victories in black and gold. That's a little bit later on. Right now, our conversation with the newest member of the Pittsburgh Penguins coaching staff, Penn's assistant coach Mike Bellucci, today's guest on the Scoop Podcast, presented by PPG. Well, Mike, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us here on the podcast. Hey, no problem. We like to do this thing before we get into the, all the hockey talk, the on-ice conversation, the off-ice conversation, the behind-the-bench conversation, uh, where we ask a question of the day. So I'm going to put you on the spot here because that's generally how you get the best answers in these situations. And our, our question of the day for this episode of the podcast what is one thing you say you would become better at during this whole pandemic situation that we've all been dealing with? Uh, one thing that I'd come better at, um, God, that's great. Uh, let's put uh, being organized. I got, all right. Uh, I, I'm pretty organized, but I got more organized with basements and all those kind of things. Yeah, the home improvement projects have probably yes. been uh, fast and furious, right? <laughs> yes. Now we get the the nitty gritty uh, right now here. So first of all, uh, two plus decades behind a bench as a coach for you, the juniors, the minors, now 54 years old, you're an NHL coach, you're a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins coaching staff. How does that sound? Quite the journey for you. Oh, yes. It's uh, yeah, quite the journey, but uh, dream come true. I mean, you know, when you get a chance to join the best organization, I believe, in the uh, in the National Hockey League, it's something that's very special. Um, you know, the, it's all about, I, I think I've said it before, it's about the right people, the right time, 
right organization and everything just lined up perfectly and uh, I'm very excited about it. Who was your first call after you took the job with the Penguins and moved up to Pittsburgh? Uh, well, I, I, definitely my wife. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, told her. But uh, the big thing was we called uh, my parents over that night to come over and uh, uh, just hang out. And, and they're both in their 80s or just turned 80. So she get mad if I said that she's over 80. But she, <laughs> they just turned 80, and uh, they're big hockey fans. They've traveled all around. My brothers play. My uh, the, all their grandkids, you know, some of them play uh, different sports and that. So they're big sports fans. And obviously uh, uh, being able to tell them in person was uh, something really special. Is that a kind of a situation with your parents where, you know, like so many people that have grown up in the hockey world, the early mornings, the drives to the rinks, you kind of think back to those moments when you're sitting there and, and hitting the pinnacle of the sport, essentially, and joining the NHL ranks? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I, we had, my parents had six kids, five boys. So we were going all over the place and for all the boys to play hockey, they had fine rides and uh, to games and different things like that. And one of my biggest regrets is that, you know, when I, I didn't play a lot of NHL games, but when I did play my first one, my dad didn't come um, and see it because he was busy with work and, and the other, uh, uh, my brothers and sisters and everything. So I wish I would have you know, made sure he got to that first one, but uh, to be able to tell him that uh, that I'm going to be on the bench in Pittsburgh was something special. Well, hopefully he can be in Pittsburgh for that first one behind the bench there, uh, PPG Paints Arena. And we mentioned you being behind the bench, the coaching career, obviously, beginning way back in the 1995-96 season. And Micah, just looking at the the um, the history of you in your coaching career, I see the name CompuWare Ambassadors, the NAHL. Different name, different years, but I can't help but see CompuWare and notice there's a connection there. Jim Rutherford, his managerial career began with CompuWare as well. It was the Windsor CompuWare Spitfires. Is there any link uh, to the beginning of your guys' relationship there? Or is that just purely a coincidence that both of you guys in the managerial side for Jim and then you, of course, in the coaching side had CompuWare attached to your beginning? Yeah, no, there there is. Jim actually was the first one to hire me back in 1992 for CompuWare, and uh, um, I remember like yesterday, I was deciding if I was going to retire, go back and play in Europe, or what I was going to do. And just got married, and uh, you know, uh, Jim knew me from the program, and uh, I got a call from his uh, assistant asking me to come have lunch with him, and and he offered me the job at that time to coach and. Uh, be the GM of the uh, the CompuWare team. So, uh, yeah, there's there's some history there. He gave me my first opportunity uh, 28 years ago. He seems to have an, a nice ability to to offer up jobs and, and situations with guys that he wants to bring on board. I, I had a conversation uh, during his Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, we had a special last year for his uh, Hockey Hall of Fame induction in Toronto, and I had a conversation with Paul Maurice about when he was hired uh, in Carolina and he talked about being on a golf trip with Jim and he just offered him the job on the golf course. So, uh, you know, you guys go out to get something to eat. He brings you on board there with CompuWare, but how did that relationship kind of develop? Uh, how'd you guys, you know, come across and paths and, and get to, you know, build that relationship that eventually led to you getting into the coaching ranks? Well, that, you know, I, Paul Maurice, myself and Pete DeBoer all came up pretty much at the same time, uh, through that CompuWare programs, uh, when, uh, Jim was in charge. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, Jim, I, I had worked, uh, not worked, I had played for CompuWare youth program, uh, growing up, uh, since I was, uh, the first year it was a sponsorship. And then 
Um, I just knew Jim around those days. My mom had worked for CompuWare part-time for the hockey department uh, doing their building and education for the, for the players, and so she knew Jim uh, from there. Um, and and uh, so, yeah, it was just that little connection, and uh, he knew I was contemplating either retiring or, or getting a real job, and <laughs> um, fortunate enough that uh, he offered me that job. I remember it like yesterday. It was like, He's like, I want you to run the ice rink. And I'm like, I run the ice rink. I want to, you know, really? And then uh, and uh, we had a little longer conversation and talked about the junior team and and running that, too. And so it was obviously the best uh, decision I've ever made by by taking his offer and uh, working for him. And if it's kept you away from a real job for the last couple decades, I think we can all (laughs) agree that was a win, too. (laughs) Yeah, Um, for sure. So you you obviously spent some time there in the NAHL and then you move on to the Ontario Hockey League with the Plymouth Whalers. And I think, you know, from you know my perspective and a lot of other people's perspectives that, that didn't know you, that was when we first started to see your name and, and your track record start to really develop as a coach. 13 years uh, with Plymouth, you won an OHL title in 2007. Former Penguins Tom Sestito and James Neal were on that team. But uh, I think when you, you look at that situation, um, from coaching in the OHL, from dealing with the players that came into Plymouth and moved on ultimately, a lot of them obviously hoping to and eventually would turn pro. There's such a high level of player in those leagues. We've only seen that level get higher in the you know subsequent years with how elite some of these young players are joining the NHL ranks. From your perspective, what was it like you know, developing yourself as a coach in coaching them and developing them? Yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it, it's a lot of fun to be honest with you. With, with Computer, the Tier Two team, I was I was promoting kids to go to college. Yeah, right. So that was uh, their goal was to to get a good education and play hockey in college. In Major Junior A, it was a, a little bit of both. They wanted to get a good education, but they wanted to make it to the National Hockey League also. And so, um, you know, it, it was different. The the players that, that I had in the OHL. Um, and there's some elite players and uh, I was fortunate enough. We did a lot of good recruiting and getting a lot of the top elite American players like Vince Trochik and JT Miller, a couple of Pittsburgh guys, you know, we were able to recruit those guys. So, um, you know, and, and as a coach, I, I pretty much, I don't want to say I learned uh, everything, but I learned a lot in the coaching the tier two for those years of how to, uh, to, um, to manage a young player, a, a young kid, anywhere from 16 to 20, and what they're thinking, and and how you have to be honest with them and upfront and and demanding at the same time. So, um, yeah, it was it was tough, but it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, and uh, I learned a lot about how to coach uh, the, the young kids these days. And I'll give you a little quick example. I had a my very first year coaching computer and. I had a, a, an older player on our team wanted to have a meeting with me. So I'm thinking, man, no big deal. Kick back in my chair, ready for the meeting. He comes in, he's got a list of 20 questions for me. <laughs> so he was more he was more prepared than I was. And I guarantee you that's the last time that uh, somebody is more prepared than I am for an interview or for a uh, just a little sit-down uh, talk. So I learned a lot back then, and um, you know, I use a lot of those tools to this day. Yeah, and you obviously have put him into practice with the success you've had, named the uh, OHL's Coach of the Year in 2013. Uh, when, when you look at, you know, you mentioned kind of growing and seeing the experiences of the players that you dealt with in that situation. 
How has that experience trained your eye maybe to see something more in a young player? Because uh, I remember talking to Mike Sullivan about this when he came to Pittsburgh from Chicago. He'd been working in a development role with the Blackhawks, and he said it, it allowed him to appreciate some of these young players and maybe take them for a little bit more than what he would have seen them from of the perspective of you know just being in an NHL capacity uh, prior to being in the Chicago organization. Obviously, you have a lot more experience with dealing with these younger players, these junior players making their way up. How has that helped your eye to maybe be able to identify little nuances that someone who didn't see that at the level and at the consistency that you did maybe wouldn't be able to? Yeah, uh, great question. What, what I, I think one of my assets are is, is a coach is I can identify a player um, by coaching them for a little bit of what they need. And what I mean by that is what they need. Sometimes they need a kick in the butt. Sometimes they need a pat on the back. Um, how do they react different to different coaches? Do they – uh, do they play better when uh, you're you're always uh, praising them? Do they play better when you're not talking to them? All those little things like that. So I know when a player needs confidence and uh, when uh, he doesn't, when he needs a little kick in the in the butt. Um, um, but you know those those things, those those players, they're they're young kids. They got so much more than just hockey. You know, and I'm talking about junior players. They got so much more than just hockey that, you know, they have school, they have billets, they have family issues, they have girlfriends. They have so many different things um, that uh, they ha- that goes through their mind and that they have to um, deal with. So as a coach with a younger player, you need to have your door open for them for not just hockey, but for anything, for all those life situations. And um, I love that part of it. I'm, still in a lot of my uh, old players lives when they have babies or they're or they're getting married they're calling and and uh, um, talking to me and that so it's a lot of fun to to stay in their lives no matter if they're nhl hockey players or doctors or lawyers or a policeman or anybody like that uh, anybody that has played for me I, my my phone is always there for them to call and talk and i love catching up with them I think just hearing that, that that's uh, probably something Penguins fans would love to hear just as far as the relationship that you have with your past players. And I think anyone who's played a sport knows that there are, is that opportunity that, you know, you can grow close with your coach. You can have a relationship beyond just playing for them and being on the same team as them. But just hearing you talk there, it seems like that's something that you take pride in, that knowing that these guys that uh, you've, you've won with, you've lost with, you've battled with, you also can have a relationship with and, and a pretty sustainable one there beyond the time that you're linked together on a team. Yeah, without a doubt. I had a player, uh, um, my very first year coaching, he was a assistant captain of our team with Compu, where we won the national championship. First time a North American league team ever won a national championship against the USHL team. And, and he was just a great leader. Um, he went to college for a year, didn't, uh, didn't really love it. So he came back and started working for me as an assistant coach and ended up being one of my best friends. So, Hmm. you know, those, those are relationships. I, I play golf with guys that have played for me with the Whalers uh, every other day back here in in Michigan during the summer. So there's just, it's not always the the guy that's going on to play in the national hockey league. It's other, other players that you stay in their lives and, um, and, and communicate with them and, and, and watch them grow as, as, as men and have, you know, families and children and uh, just a really proud moment when you see them grow up and mature so well and, and do, and do, and do good in life. 
No question about that. And it's got to be rewarding for you as well. And I mentioned 13 years uh, in Plymouth in the OHL. So certainly a longstanding time there. I know when we talked with you in your introductory call, when you joined the Pittsburgh Penguins staff, that that's a lot of where your family aspect took place, your children and whatnot. Um, but then you moved up uh, and I was looking, I, I kind of had to do a little bit of backtracking because I knew that you were in the Hurricanes organization uh, before joining the Charlotte Checkers coaching staff, which obviously is the AHL at the time affiliate uh, for Carolina. But uh, I saw the, the gap in the coaching situation, and that's where I realized that you were the assistant general manager in Carolina starting in 2014, which ironically enough was the year that Jim Rutherford uh, came to Pittsburgh. So talk us through that whole situation. What, what kind of led you to Carolina and, you know, what was the draw and maybe stepping away from the bench? And I know you did a, the general manager's role at times in Plymouth, but stepping into really that entirely in an assistant GM role with Ron Francis uh, with the Hurricanes. Yeah, that was, um, um, you know, I had a, a, over the years in Plymouth, I had a lot of opportunities to leave uh, for different, you know, assistant coach jobs or other American League jobs or all kinds of things in the National Hockey League. And I just was never in a hurry because it wasn't the right thing for a family. Um, my dad stayed uh, with IBM for 30 plus years without, you know, moving out of state because of the, the family. And I just thought it was important for my kids to grow up in one spot and, um and then uh, the opportunity came with Carolina because uh, we had the same owner in Plymouth that uh, that owned the Hurricanes, Mr. Kermanis. And uh, uh, when when uh, Jim was uh, moving up to the president, and uh, um, Mr. Kermanis asked me if I wanted to be the assistant GM to, with Ron Francis, and um, I, you know, I knew we were selling Plymouth, <laughs> so it was the right <laughs> time to to kind of move on and uh, do a favor. So. Um, I didn't really want, you know, I, I love coaching and coaching's in my blood and that's what I wanted to do. But at the time, it's what I was asked to do by, by ownership. So I, uh, you know, I'm always a team first player. And, and if my boss asked me to do something, I'm going to do it. And uh, he, that's what he did. He asked me. So it was a, a lot of fun to, to get to the NHL and, and, and at that aspect and look at everything and, and be involved in all the drafts and trades and all those things and development and watch the American League team and, um, I think it made me a better coach to see it from that aspect. Um, uh, and then it also made me want to coach a lot more. Getting back <laughs> on the bench was one of the one of the funnest, or it's not the right word, but the greatest things I uh, came back to do is uh, I was so excited to, to be called coach again. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. And, and before that, obviously, as you mentioned, the assistant GM role there for four years, you talked a little bit about it, lighting the fire back under you to coach, you know, giving you that different perspective. Did it may help you grow in any way, you know, away from the coaching aspect, being involved in those drafts, kind of seeing what it took uh, beyond maybe the junior level to to build a professional team and, and stockpile that talent beneath maybe what people see on the surface? You know, so often I think, especially as you've learned here in Pittsburgh, there isn't always that first overall or first round pick. You know, there hasn't been essentially, except for last year in the last handful of seasons for the Penguins. So as far as the quote unquote top prospect, a lot of fans here don't really know what's underneath the surface. But when you're in that situation, you know, in management, preparing for the the, the cupboard, I guess, so to speak, uh, for the future and the present, there's a lot more to it. How much did you gain perspective wise on that? Just kind of preparing an organization. 
Well, I've always, you know, I've always been the GM and coach of my teams, even the tier two team and then Plymouth for all those years. And then uh, uh, even the last two years in Charlotte there, I was, uh, you know, managing the, this team that, so I've always had that perspective of, you know, uh, thinking of with two hats on, because as a coach, you'd wake up in the morning, uh, go to bed at night, really mad at a player, but in the morning you wake up and like, all right, how, how am I going to get to this player? So you, you change your, change your mind um, and you have to look at it from both aspects. So I think it slows me down uh, um, having both roles to, to know that, Hey, there's different ways to teach and different ways to get your point across. So, you know, we need to wake up in the morning and find a different way. So, but I, I, uh, I really appreciate the work that general managers and assistant general managers and all the traveling and, and, and video they watch and going to games and traveling all around the world and watching games. So it's a, it's a lot of, a lot of work put into it without a doubt. And, um, it's complicated. It's, uh, you have to get lucky sometimes and, uh, and you have to grind your out, but it's, a uh, it's not, it's not an easy job, but I definitely saw at a, you know, obviously a bigger magnitude magnitude up in the NHL than it was in the OHL. I think it's interesting too, because when you did return to coaching, uh, and you moved behind the bench with the Charlotte checkers, as you mentioned in the 2017, 18 season, uh, you come into a situation where, as we just touched on, you were a part of building uh, the rosters, you know, from the managerial side. And now you're coaching some of these players that you had a hand in bringing to the Carolina organization. Uh, first of all, what was it like getting back behind the bench in the American League, doing it at the pro level uh, for the first time? And then kind of the next year and a half, two years where you, you, you had your first year and then obviously go on to win the Calder Cup in your second season there with the Checkers with a group that I would imagine you had some you know personal connection with having a hand in a lot of them joining the Hurricanes organization. Yeah, well, first thing it was, I, I, it was very um, um, beneficial that I did know the players. I knew what, they're, what they uh, are good at. I knew what they needed to improve on. I knew... Some of them had played on the big stage already in world juniors and things like that. So I knew where, where they had played in juniors or college, where they were net front on the power play or the half wall, all those kind of things. So I had a head start of a guy that just came in and didn't know any of the players. So that was very beneficial um, to knowing that um, from building the team, you know, that was, that was something that was really awesome to, to be able to do. Um, I knew, you know, little pieces that we might need. We need a penalty killer or we need a little more um, leadership because we were so young. So that was uh, uh, fun to be able to build the team that way. Um, and getting back on the bench was awesome. That was, um, this, this may sound weird, but it was, it's actually harder to coach in juniors than it was in the American League. And I just say that because they're, you know, different age. Um, they want to be pros. I have younger kids at 16 that you really have to teach a lot. When you get up in the American League, these guys are pros. They act like pros. Um, you know, there's a few first-year guys that you have to, to to get up to that speed. But it was just the practices are crisper. The players are, are better, faster, stronger, bigger, all those things. So it made it easier. Um, and then it didn't take me long. There was a, What happened was a couple of years ago, before I went on the bench in Charlotte, when I was the assistant GM, Ron asked me, one of our assistant coaches' mother had passed away and had to miss two games on the weekend. And Ron asked me if I would go on the bench in Charlotte for, for a couple games and run the D. And, you know, I said, no problem. Obviously, uh, like I said, a team player will do it to whatever needs to be done. And I got on there. 
And I said, I'm not going to say nothing for the first 10 minutes of the first period. And all of a sudden I was barking at the ref and <laughs> getting into it. And I'm like, man, I miss this. This is awesome. And then so the next year when uh, old Samuelson left to, to go coach in uh, Chicago uh, is when I decided to go back. You came back and the, the success followed pretty quickly. As I mentioned, that 2019 Calder Cup with the Checkers. Uh, as you know, uh, Mike, having won you know the OHL title in 2007 with Plymouth, as I mentioned, championships at any level and in any sport are hard to win hockey championships given you know the nature of the sport the grind of the postseason just seemed to be even tougher for whatever reason what was that one like uh maybe i, I guess even more so rewarding when you had been away from the coaching aspect for a couple of years to come back and win with that group and and be able to do it you know at, at one of the highest levels you can in the hockey world yeah, it was obviously it was a lot of fun. I've I've been fortunate to win. I think it's like four championships, a couple with the tier two and Whalers and that. And I never really enjoyed it, to be honest with you, because <laughs> you're always thinking the next move, and you're the GM and you're the coach, and you got to worry about hotels and food and all this stuff, right? And travel, and so yeah, I never really enjoyed it. I said I'm going to try to enjoy this one um, at, at the end, and the guys were great, you know. In the American League, I don't think everybody understands. For you to win in the American League, the players have to want to win. Every single guy has to want to win. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have they're, – they're getting uh, – uh, the pay's not uh, there anymore, and they have to keep renting month by month their apartment and pay more bills and things like that, where it's a lot easier sometimes just to, to, to not. And every single one of the guys wanted to win. We had some – you know, the first two rounds, uh, we had guys up with the uh, Hurricanes on the um, – in the playoffs, Hurricanes went uh, two or three rounds that year. So we were missing five or six guys in the first two rounds um, and still were able to win and then got them back and then and were able to win a championship. But a lot of guys, uh, every, every one of them wanted to win. They wanted to keep playing, even though we were in middle of June at the finals. So it was a lot of fun, excuse me, a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, some great character guys, a lot of really young guys. We were the youngest team in the league. Um, but they had that, um, you know, enthusiasm and, and energy that they brought every day. It was a lot of fun to be a part of. And championships live forever. You're certainly a part of that one as the head coach of that Checkers team. But after that season, that was the uh, the end of your time with the Carolina organization. You moved on to the Penguins organization, becoming the head coach of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, which is, I think, when a lot of Penguins fans were introduced to you uh, as a result of going there to Northeast Pennsylvania. And a lot has been made. I know you were asked about this when you were introduced as part of the Pittsburgh coaching staff, but um, there's so much connection to that seat of being the head coach in Wilkes-Barre Scranton and the transition that so many guys, uh, including yourself now, have experienced to move up to the NHL coaching ranks and have a lot of success beyond the success that they had in Wilkes-Barre. Uh, how much of that was uh, part of your draw to join uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton and how much of it you know was just the natural connection obviously as we mentioned earlier with Jim Rutherford and some ties to the Penguins on that front well I think it all tied together uh, uh, to be honest with you that we won the championship in Charlotte and Carolina my contract's running out um, it's not going well there I have a few offers from other places and then I get a last minute call from Jim um, and ask me if I'm interested so um Obviously, the the connection in Wilkes. I've heard nothing but great things about the organization there. Um, like you said, the coaches that have gone on from there and have opportunities, 
And uh, and then obviously also under Mike Sullivan, somebody that's won two cups, has been coaching a long time and is uh, um, very um, um, knowledgeable and respected in the community for, of, of coaches. Everybody said it'd be a great opportunity to, to work under Sully. So all those things added up to, to come into Wilkes and, you know, it couldn't have been a better decision. And not because I'm in, uh, assistant coach now just because the organization from top down is just tremendous I had such a great time last year in Wilkes you know Jeff Barrett and and all the guys there working they treat everybody awesome the fans are great there the setup is awesome the assistant coaches that I worked with JD I was a lot uh, so much fun to work with so I, I was quite content going back uh, next year and, and working in Wilkes because it was such a great situation and a great place, but obviously very excited to get this opportunity. Yeah, and let's dive right into that now as we kind of wind things down here. You you are in the NHL, as we mentioned, making it to the ranks. Uh, for you, one of the things you mentioned on your call was, was uh, that the time was right. Everything seemed right, and you said that a little bit earlier. Why was it right? What made it right that uh, now was the opportunity for you to step onto an NHL bench for the first time and, and experience everything that comes with that? Well, you, you, when you look to jump, you look at a lot of different uh, situations. One is for family first. Is is it the best thing for my family at this time? And, you know, Pittsburgh's only four hours from Detroit with my, my son being a senior, so that made it a lot easier. Um, my daughter's graduated. And so, you know, you look at family, is that a good reason? Number one, number two, you look at organization and obviously Pittsburgh Penguins, the elite of, of the national hockey league three, you look at the coach and can you learn and can you, uh, can you work for him? And, um, the relationship I've had with Mike this last year has been awesome. He's so inclusive. He asks questions about us, what we think. Um, even when, you know, the very first meeting, he made me feel so welcome and to the organization and, and valued as an employee. And that's what you always ask for in your bosses that, that they see value in you. And, and, uh, so it's just the situation with Mike and then the organization. And then obviously Jim, um, um, Having worked for Jim for so many years and known known him for so many years, I know that uh, the class that he brings to the organization and um, the the will to win is is so tremendous. And uh, same with Sully. So it was just everything lined up perfect, and uh, um, I'm really happy to get to this point. And from what we've heard and what you've explained to us, a lot of your duties will deal with the forwards, the penalty kill. Um, Penguins added a player on that penalty kill front, as we've learned over the, the last little bit. Colton Sevier coming over from the Florida Panthers in a deal, uh, along with Mike Matheson, that sent Patrick Hornquist to Florida. Uh, how excited are you, I guess, to to kind of put your footprint on that penalty kill and and kind of talk us through what, what your mindset is of coaching a group like that and, and the ma- mindset that's required to be successful in that situation. Well, you have to be aggressive, in my opinion. You have to you have to play on your toes. You have to be aggressive. You have to have great sticks. You have to want to be the best penalty kill unit in the, in the, in the league. You, you're gonna you have to want to kill every penalty that you can and uh, and just and take pride in it. And uh, that's something I've always uh, prided myself in is my specialty teams, not just penalty kill but power play also. Uh, mm-hmm. We strive to have them in the top uh, five of the of the league every year and. Um, so that's, you know, that's just, I'm so excited to run the PK. 
Um, I've done the power play for years, um, and I've overseen the penalty kill for for quite a few years. But um, I'm excited. I think it's a great opportunity to to try to take it to the next level. I know they had a good penalty kill last year in the top ten, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so we just want to expand on that and and, and improve uh, and get even better into the top five. When you spread out to the rest of the forward group, and obviously some guys not involved in the penalty kill, I have to ask you when you when you have the chance to look at this Penguins roster, and as you mentioned, you know you named some of the players you worked with in the past, uh, both you know in Tier Two and in, in uh, the OHL with Charlotte. There have been some pretty good players and guys that have moved on uh, to some pretty successful NHL careers. Uh, but there hasn't been like a Sidney Crosby <laughs> or an Evgeny Malkin. Uh, how how eager are you to? be around these guys on a daily basis and, you know, maybe have that give and take where you can learn, they can learn, and you guys can work together and uh, bring a lot to the table on both fronts here. Yeah. You know, every player likes structure. They like, uh, they, they like to be pushed. They want, they want to be the best player they possibly can be. So that's my job is to help them get to that next level, whatever way it may be. Um, but I'm excited to work with them and uh, yeah, I said it before. You, you get an opportunity to work with the best players in the world is something you strive for. To be a, you know, as a coach, you want to be the best, and so your your job is to help them be their best, and and well, at the same time, improve yourself. So, a um, lot of fun to be able to work with them and the whole team. I'm excited to to work with all the forwards and uh, and be involved with the whole team, from the coaching staff to the goal goaltending coach, everybody. It's uh, it's a tight knit group. It's a lot of fun to be around just in the camp. Uh, when I was there, um, everybody's in it together. And that's just uh, a great uh, feeling for when you're on a, a team, then everybody feels like family. Definitely. And as you know, uh, so much of that success that happens from a team atmosphere comes from the culture within. And I think it's fair to say the Penguins have a pretty good one here. Uh, definitely excited to have you on board with it. A couple last things, and then we'll let you go again. We appreciate sure. you taking the time. Uh, Jim Rutherford, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but uh, I've, I've, you know, doing our, co- our GM show with him here on the Penguins Radio Network. I've gotten to know him pretty well. Uh, I've gotten to appreciate his dry sense of humor, which I'm sure you know better than I. Uh, but is, is there a Jim Rutherford story that you can share as far as something that comes to mind that makes you laugh when you think about your relationship over the years with him? Jeez, I don't know if there's anyone that makes me laugh. Like I, I agree with you 100%. He has a dry sense of humor. So when he when he says something funny, you don't know if it's it's true or not, or if he's really giving you a dig or not. So you got to be on your toes with him on that one. But um, no, there's no like real funny story. I mean, I've known Jim for a long time and played a lot of golf with him, and uh, you know that's that's the uh been fortunate enough I you know when I was with Carolina you know he when he won the back-to-back cups I came to his party his Stanley Cup party uh with my family too so just to, you know great guy to be around obviously you are right dry sense of humor and uh he definitely keeps you on your toes sometimes he says something that's funny but I'm not sure if it's a really funny or it's a dig towards dig, dig towards you so you got to be on your toes one thing I will say about him, and I'm sure you know this very well, is the, uh, the superstition he has where he doesn't speak on game days. And um, we've had a couple situations on the road where I've ended up in the elevator with him going down to the bus. And I'm afraid to even make eye contact with him, obviously, because if uh, I do and the Penguins were not to win that game, obviously that would be the reason why. Um, but 
he, you know, there've been a couple instances where I think he realizes that I'm extremely uncomfortable in those situations. And he'll look at me and, and say something. And I'm not sure if I'm supposed to respond or not. And I know that this is part of the mind games with him, but it's just, it's, it's part of his charm too. It makes me, makes me laugh. Uh, just thinking about that stuff and we miss it, not being able to have the hockey right now. So. Well, you know, what's funny is now that you said that I do have a story about that. And, um, um, so it were, it's when he was with Carolina in 06 and they're in the Stanley cup final and I'm with the Plymouth whalers and we had the, the same owner. So I used to fly with, uh, Mr. Kermanis on his plane to watch the games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, so I didn't come with him this time. I came with somebody else that had a private plane. And anyways, long story, I go in and it's before the game, we got there early. And so I know all the scouts. I've been coming to the scouting meetings and those things for a long time and know all the scouts. So I had heard that the scouts had a suite. And this is game five. Carolina wins this game five, and then they win the Stanley Cup. And somebody told me they're in suite 201. So I go to 201 to say hi to all the scouts. I open the door, and it's pitch black in there, and it's just Jim Rutherford sitting there game day an hour before the game just (laughs) staring at the wall. And I come in flying and, hey, Jim. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot he doesn't want to talk to anybody. I'm like, I'm just looking for the scout. See you later. And I ran out the door. And they lost game five in overtime at home. And I I felt terrible about that for years. I think I told him the story a couple of years ago, or maybe even when he was in the uh, getting in the Hall of Fame, I think I told him that story that I felt so bad. I didn't come back to game seven because I felt so bad about that. So. (laughs) <laughs> kind of funny, kind of funny. I know his superstitious don't talk to him on the game day, and I screwed it up on game five of the Stanley Cup Finals that one year. Oh, man, you must have been sweating that out for a couple of days there before game seven that year. Then <laughs> It was horrible. I had a buddy ask me to go to game seven. I said, no, I think I'll stay home because <laughs> I'm superstitious too. So it was pretty funny. Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, last thing, and then we'll let you go. I, I got to ask, uh, you know, one of the all-time – classic logos in NHL history, the Hartford Whalers, the team that drafted you, the team you played your, your lone couple of NHL games for. Do you still have the Jersey? Uh, yes, I still have the Jersey. Yes. Yeah. there's not too many Knicks on it. Um, <laughs> I only got credit. I only got credit for two games played. I think, I think I played more, but if you don't get a shift, you don't get credit for a, for a game. If I would have known that I would have probably jumped on the ice and, uh, and took it too many men just to get on the game sheet. But, uh, yeah, I still have the jersey. Oh, that's great. Well, awesome stuff. Uh, Coach, I'm so excited to have you in Pittsburgh and a part of Mike Sullivan's coaching staff. Looking forward to you putting your mark on this Penguins team. And, uh, you know, again, we, we can't thank you enough for the time, and we really appreciate you, you lending us some thoughts. Awesome. Thank you. All right, that is Mike Vellucci, newest Penguins assistant coach after two-plus decades of coaching. As he mentioned, the NAHL, junior, AHL, now finally in the show uh, as a member of Mike Sullivan's coaching staff. And he is the latest in a long line of coaches that have come from Wilkes-Barre, Scranton to Pittsburgh. And it's not just coaches. It's hockey ops people. It's everyone under that hockey umbrella from Northeast Pennsylvania to Western Pennsylvania and have had a lot of success. And we learned about that in a lot more detail on the Penguins website recently as Michelle Cracciolo of Penn's Inside Scoop wrote a story called Wilkes-Barre Scranton has been a breeding ground for NHL coaches. And she joins us now to discuss a little bit more of that. Michelle, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm excited to be here. 
Yeah, great to have you back on. And this is an interesting article because I think a lot of people have seen the most recent names. And you think about, you know, the Dan Bilesmas of the world, the Mike Sullivans of the world. Now it's Todd Reardon's back on staff. We just heard from Mike Vellucci. That's a lot of names right there, actually, now that I just say that out loud. <laughs> but in general, this Wilkes-Barre Scranton coaching tree, which you went in depth on, uh, it is extensive, it is impressive, and it just added another Stanley Cup champion with Todd Richards and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, it's just amazing to think of the coaches, yeah, that have not only gone on to the NHL, but have also won Stanley Cups. You know, Dan Bilesma, Mike Yo in 09, Mike Sullivan in, in 16 and 17, Todd Reardon in 18, and now Todd Richards this year. So it's just remarkable. And as Jim Rutherford told me when I was talking to him for this story, that um, certainly the Penguins have probably the best story to tell when you look at how many people have gone through Wilkes-Barre Scranton and ended up not only with the Penguins, but throughout the NHL in general. It's just amazing. And I think that's because it, it, it's because of what um, the philosophy is for Rutherford um, and his staff and, and the, the GMs before him when it comes to hiring people for those positions in Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Um, you know, Jim Rutherford said, when we hire them there, we like them for that position, but we also look beyond that. Is there room for growth? Is there room for them to do more than the job they're being hired for? They always talk about that. That was a big part of hiring Mike Sullivan. Um, you know, and Jason Botterill was leading the search for that candidate. Um, Rutherford told him to make sure that people on the shortlist had enough experience where they could be a head coach in Pittsburgh. And that was the same situation with Mike Vellucci. Um, he has a good track record. And, and, and Jim Rutherford said, it's his time. It's his time to take that step um, with an NHL team. So um, they definitely they talk about that. Um, and they, they want that to, to be kind of a, always at the back of their mind that they want to they want them to learn and grow and develop with Wilkes-Barre Scranton, but also have the ability to eventually make that jump if it's so needed. So I think, you know, credit to all of the, the Pittsburgh general managers throughout the year that have hired such fantastic people for those positions um, and who have gone on to, to do great things in the NHL. Yeah, one thing I thought was interesting in your story, you talked about uh, Jeff Barrett to that point saying that after five years, he looks at guys and he's like, why are you still here? What can, <laughs> what can we do to get you going? But I think that the bottom line is when you look at that Wilkes-Barre Scranton position and you just named some of the coaches there, I'm sure J.D. Forrest is pretty excited stepping into that role now because it is an attractive position. Mike Sullivan told you as much uh, when he came to Pittsburgh from Wilkes-Barre Scranton, getting back into the coaching game by going to the Baby Penguins. This is a a, a position and a situation that is minor league, but I think people see the major league potential. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they, that's what the culture that Jeff Barrett has established down there is that they want to treat them like they're in the NHL as much as they can. As he said, I mean, they're still getting on a three hour bus ride to go from place <laughs> to place. They're not flying on a private charter to get from one city to another. So obviously there's limitations there, but everything else is NHL level. And, and that's something that, you know, for me, I actually had the chance to go down there in 2012 during the lockout um, to cover some of the prospects that we had down there. And I remember being blown away by the setup they had from top to bottom. I mean, you look at the um, Mohegan Sun Arena, just uh, the amount of seats they have there, the the fan base they have there, and then the locker room setup that they have for for the players. And even just going through to the front office, I remember thinking, like, I would love to work here. It's, it's <laughs> everything state of the art from from top to bottom. And you know, so Pittsburgh ownership has definitely put in the resources there to make it as close to an NHL situation as possible. And then just knowing that they had the support that everyone there wants them to get to the NHL um, at some point. So it makes it a really attractive place. I remember Mike Sullivan said that uh, he called it one of the more sought after positions in the American League because, yeah, there's great leadership there with Barrett and um, the CFO and executive vice president, Greg Batorek, and the 
guys that are there day in and day out that run the operation. You know, there's great support from Pittsburgh ownership, you know, financial and otherwise. And the Penguins just really value the development process and the importance of that, not just with players. So, you know, people around the league definitely see that and they notice that. And, you know, for a guy like J.D. Forrest that you mentioned, for him, um, you know, he's someone that uh, just the Penguins organization, the success they've had, he's he's loved the, he said a, a big part of it is having the chance to interact with Mike Sullivan and his staff. He's like, you know, it's not like we're on the phone every single day talking for an hour and you know, having super in-depth conversations. But he said you do get to, you're around them at development camp, you're around them at training camp. Um, you get to see how Stanley Cup coaches operate. You pick things up and, you know, it's Sully and, and the rest of the staff's open for questions and, and dialogue. And um, they're really good at communicating with, you know, not just the Wilkes-Barre staff, but the staff down in the ECHL as well with Wheeling. So I think that's just a big part of it. And it makes it a really attractive place uh, for people to come and, and hopefully, you know, grow as coaches and, and hopefully eventually take that next step at some point. I encourage people to read the article. Definitely check out the graphic because I'm going to list the names right now. And I think it's going to sound really long here on the audio form. But the graphic is just, I think it's its Daryl Hill, right? Who made the graphic? Yes, it is. New media yeah. graphic designer. This is one of my favorite graphics that I've ever seen because it's so extensive and it's so easy to understand with everything in it. But you have Mike Terrian, Mike Yo, Todd Richards, Dan Bilesma, John Hines, Elaine Nazardine, Mike Sullivan, Todd Reardon, Mike Vellucci, all those guys uh, under that Wilkes-Barre Scranton coaching tree, now all coaching in the NHL and obviously also have had a lot of success in the NHL as well with their coaching careers after their time in Wilkes-Barre Scranton. But the interesting thing that you mentioned in the article, uh, among others, is that it's not just the coaches in the sense of head coaches. You're talking about some hockey ops guys, too. And I think that kind of speaks to what Jeff Barrett was talking about in the sense that, yeah, the guys behind the bench are the ones that you maybe see the most of. But there's also the ability and the encouragement that, you know, regardless of where you stand in this organization, if you're in Wilkes-Barre Scranton, the hope is that you can take the next step forward and guys behind the scenes in the Penguins hockey ops have proven that. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, Jeff Barrett told me this really cool story about when he first came to Wilkes-Barre Scranton in 1999 to help start the team after Pittsburgh and Wilkes-Barre signed, you know, an agreement for the baby Penguins to be the, the AHL affiliate. And at the time, Craig Patrick was Pittsburgh's general manager. And he told um, Jeff something that informed everything he's done up to this point. And he said, Craig Patrick emphasized the role of Wilkes-Barre is to be developing assets for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Assets can be players, assets can be coaches, assets can be hockey apps people, assets can be front, um, front office staff. So, you know, everything that Jeff Barrett has done, um, you know, from that point on is to develop assets for the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. So it's amazing when you think about, you know, and, and Pittsburgh alone, um, Mike Buckley, the goalie coach, Andy Socher, and He's someone that, you know, do the Pits, do the Penguins win the cup in, in 16 if he doesn't, you know, make that famous uh, offside call in you know, the Eastern right. Conference final <laughs> against Tampa Bay. Like he's someone who contributed to a Stanley Cup, got a start in Wilkes-Barre and his assistant video coach, Madison Nickel, also from Wilkes-Barre Scranton, Paul DeFazio, assistant equipment manager, Patrick Seidel, assistant athletic trainer. And that's just Wilkes-Barre Scranton. I mean, you look at throughout the league, there's just countless people um, in all different areas who have moved on uh, and moved up to the NHL. So uh, I think it's it's amazing the the culture they've established there um, that they, they you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, Josh, that Jeff Barrett really does tell people, if you're here in five years, you either have a great success story or I'm disappointed in you because it's time to move on. We're trying to get everyone ahead. And 
I think it's amazing because it's easier said than done, I think, to say that because, you know, if you do have someone that's a, a great asset, it, it might be hard to see them leave. And, yeah. you know, like that's a, and just have that process repeat over and over again can't always be easy, um, but it's something that they they truly understand the importance of that. And and they definitely, because, and even Jeff Barrett said to me, he's like, you know, at first when Craig Patrick told me that, I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that didn't really, it, you know, I, I obviously tried to do it right away, but the importance of it, you know, really sunk in, um, you know, yeah. a little bit later on. So, um, so I think it's, it's amazing and it's just truly remarkable what they've done from, from top to bottom and just such a luxury for Jim Rutherford and the staff in Pittsburgh to know that, you know, if they, if a video position does open, they have, you know, so many capable people in Wilkes-Barre that are more than capable of stepping up and, and getting called up and, you know, just, just helping make an impact and, and helping, you know, Pittsburgh win hockey games. Cause you know, at the end of the day, Josh, that's what we're all here for to, to help the, the team achieve its ultimate goal of, of getting the Stanley cup. So um, I think it's, it's just such a cool story from, from top to bottom. And one, I was definitely very happy to, to tell. It was a great story. And I recommend anyone out there who has not had a chance to read it, do it maybe right now, once you finish <laughs> listening to this podcast, Wilkes-Barre Scranton has been a breeding ground for NHL coaches. It's available over at pittsburghpenguins.com. Michelle, always enjoy catching up with you and looking forward to the time we get through it again, which hopefully will be in the not too distant future. Couldn't agree more, Josh, and I'm looking forward to it. And we will definitely, uh, we will definitely talk then. Can't wait. All right, that is Michelle Crecchiolo. Thanks to her for swinging by and joining us here on the Scoop Podcast. You can, of course, follow her on Twitter at Pens Inside Scoop and check out all of her content ready at your fingertips and your eyeballs at pittsburghpenguins.com. Again, a big thanks to Mike Vellucci for joining us. Thanks to Michelle Crecchiolo for swinging by. And thanks to all of you for lending us your ears and clicking on this latest edition of the Scoop Podcast presented by PPG. Until we talk to you next time, which will be in the not-too-distant future, I'm Josh Getzoff. Stay safe, stay healthy. Bye-bye.